0: for today. if you know it. I thought about grabbing your hat, you know, because he, he comes out in the crazy hat and the ridiculous socks. I can't do that. Um, yeah, listen. <laughs> Today, we're, we're calling today's message Thunderstruck, if you didn't catch by uh, the ACDC song there. How many of you heard that song before? Yeah, should you be in church? Yes, you should. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally should. I, I put it on there myself, uh, so <laughs> just thought I'd have a little fun with you. <laughs> um, a little while back, I was uh, installing some ceiling fans. Anybody ever done some electrical work around your house, and you think, that's no problem. I could just, I could just do that. I, I, uh, I, w- I was doing some installations of some ceiling fans, and um, the way that the construction workers that had uh, installed the wiring in my house... Um, Sometimes you don't always realize that there's an always hot looping to another place, and um, even though I had the switch off, which should have killed all such power, um, I was sadly mistaken, and so I was um, on the top of a ladder holding the fan, and... um, you know how when you wobble off a ladder sometimes you just grab for something? I grabbed the wrong thing, my friends. And the wiring had a uh, a piece of like the plastic or rubber case around it that was exposed unbeknownst to me and sparks started flying. I am very thankful that I didn't throw the fan, but Basically, my house caught on fire for like a few seconds, and Easton ran fire, 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 fire. And um, if you could imagine, the flow of electricity didn't stop once the sparks stopped. Like your heart is palpitating, and there's just a, a circuitry in motion that happens. Thunderstruck. The definition is to be so astonished or so amazed that you have nothing but silence. No words. No capacity to bring forth anything else. It comes from the root Latin word, which actually means to be shook to the core by thunder. You ever had thunder so close and so loud that it it, it vibrates in your in your body, like in your innards? I hope at the end of today, what you feel, what you experience, what you know is that the presence of God can be so close in your life that you can be thunderstruck because of the spirit of Christ in you. Um, So obviously, with that little video, we're starting a brand new three-part teaching series called Blood and Thunder. And we're approaching some um, really, really interesting, big kind of classic stories in the Old Testament through the lens of this question, what does it take for us to see the move of God? What does it take for us to see the move of God in our lives and in our world? Like, is there a recipe for revival? Is there a formula for a front row seat to what God is doing? Now, thunder in, in, in the scripture, it, it typically represents the entrance or the power, the presence of God. Not too long ago, um, Isabel, you'll remember this, we were, we were singing here, and it was a stormy morning. And uh, because of the storms, and it was crazy storms, right? It was really crazy storms. Because of the storms, it was kind of a, a, a lower crowd, and, and, and yet we started singing, and we started worshiping, and something was happening. Because the storms were rolling, and there was just a different sense of, of the day. And I can remember, those who are here, you'll say it too, it was real, it was palpable. There was something that happened because at just the right moment when the song sang about the entrance of God walking into the space and there's like a, 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 like a moment where the song breathes, thunder clapped this building so hard that there was not a rock that did not shake. And all of us were like, <gasps> because in that moment, it was as if The presence of God came rolling in with thunder. So when we're talking about thunder, we're talking about God's power. Thunder always comes with lightning. You guys know that because you're cool like that. I had to learn that in science school. Um, And uh, lightning, as as I found out, has 100 million volts, which I can't really comprehend what that... Was So I kept reading and it says it has 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And so if you were like me, like, well, just how exactly is that? Well, it's hot enough that it's five times hotter than the surface of the sun. And it's enough power to power the DeLorean back to the future. (laughs) In the biblical narrative, though, throughout the entirety of the scripture... Uh, thunder represents God's power and God's presence. And so on Mount Sinai, when Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, what's happening? Flashes of lightning and, and, and thunder. The Psalms, they, they start writing that God's voice speaks like the roar of thunder, the roar of majesty, and all the way at the very end, in the vision that God... Uh, The the vision that God gives John in the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament. John sees up into the city of God, and they're sitting on the throne. He sees God, and it's surrounded by thunder and lightning. You know what I learned about storms is, is they can't be controlled or coerced. And I think when we start begging the question... How do we get to see the movement of God? I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for that. So when my world is crashing in, when people are facing dark moments when they're facing sentences and hearings, when they're facing job loss and uncertainty, when we're facing another national tragedy or or earthquake or tornado or go on and on, or we see things that just bring us to the brink of despair. I am hungry for when God's power arrives in our city, in our nation, in our lives where every darkness has to flee, where every Tragedy and disaster brings healing and peace and God's kingdom of love and mercy and grace are reigning in our world and sometimes I feel like we seem powerless to do the things that we really crave to see happen so thunder represents what God can do what God alone can do not by my might nor by my power, but by God's spirit, says the Lord. We can't conjure up um, a storm or God's presence like a Harry Potter spell, right? We're not just flicking in Cantioka, I don't know what he says, but we can't just flip the wand and make it happen. So thunder is God's part. It's, it's one part, but there's also blood. So blood and thunder, hence the series, right? Blood is very human, right? It, it is... Well, it's flesh and blood, what, what's make, what makes us us. Blood represents life. And in the Old Testament, when they were making sacrifices, they would say, bring the life blood." But thankfully, we didn't stay in an Old Testament system where we have to sacrifice animals or anything like that. In fact, when you come to the New Testament, the writers like in Romans, uh, uh, Paul in Romans or even Philippians for that matter, Says that our lives, our lives, all of our beings are to be poured out. It's a living sacrifice. And so all of our energy, our time, our resources, that's represented by our blood, right? We say things like, put your blood, sweat, and tears. Now we're not really bleeding most of the time unless we hurt ourselves. But we get the idea that blood represents all that we get to bring to the table. And so it takes both. It takes blood and thunder. I don't think what we have is a weak or anemic faith, but what I do think is a lot of us fall short of the type of powerful faith that is represented in some of the scriptures and stories that we're going to read about in this series. And what I want us to gather more than anything is that we have a powerful place in the story. We have a powerful faith, and so we get to pray and see the movement of God, and we get to go to work. We can't do what God does, but we do have a role in the movement of God. The move of God takes power from above, yes, but it takes our blood, sweat, and tears. Um, So blood is about humanity, and thunder is about divinity. What happens... When the two collide, and what does it mean for the world when they do? The stories that we're going to look about uh, in the next two weeks, kids, if you're, if you're catching on, there are some crazy stories. So for instance, as a result of one of the stories, a prophet gets teased and calls out bears out of the woods that eat the people that tease them. (laughs) It's in the Bible. Didn't make it up. It's there. But also, there's a pool of water, a pond, a, a lake, if you will, that people draw water from, and it's making them sick, and the prophet has the power to pour salt into the water and pray over it, and it makes that water not broken anymore but useful for healing Eating and drinking and restoring. See, these are the kinds of crazy miracles that our faith can provide. Pools of living water. Justice for those who are broken and downhearted. And so, um, here we go. It's going to be on the screen for you, but if you want to follow along in the message notes, you can do so at Wayfinders.info. Just click Kyle, click message notes, or you can do your old school paper Bible. If you want to flip open, um, you can do that. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2, and it's the story of a prophet named Elijah and how he chooses or God chooses his successor named Elisha. So similar names but different. Here we go. Uh, Verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind already, you're like, what? What is happening? God's about to take Elijah in a whirlwind. Okay. All right. We're up to speed. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. Everybody say Gilgal because that's just fun to say. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied to him, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. And a group of prophets came from Bethel and said to Elisha, uh, and came to him and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from us today? Of course I know, Elisha answers, but be quiet about it. Okay. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. Everybody say Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched at a distance. Everybody say at a distance. As Elijah and Elisha stood, stopped before the Jordan River, then, this is weird, Elijah folds his cloak together. So he takes his coat off and he folds it together and he struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them walked across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, because when you walk through on dry ground, the first thing that you say is, hey, what do you want from me? Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share. Everybody say double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now, I don't know about you, but if you just saw a dude take his coat off, fold it in half, slap some water, and parted a river, I might ask for a double share of that too, right? Because whatever he's having, I'm going to have two of them, please. Like, that would be amazing. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, you won't. I love how that's conditional. You got to want it. That's the only condition. It's interesting. We'll come back to that. As they were walking along, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. And it drove right between the two men, separating them. Elijah was carried by a whirlwind, like a tornado, into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I have seen the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the river. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they exclaimed, "Elijah's spirit rest on Elisha," and they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Okay. Long story, crazy story. Waters parting, chariots of fire and fiery horses separating people, a magic cloak that gets folded and slapping water with it. I mean, this is kind of one of those stories that is memorable once you start getting into the details, and then you're trying to figure out what it all means. I, I, I know at least it means this, if you've got to go, that's the way I want to go. I want chariots of fire coming down and, uh, and people screaming, look, there's the chariots of fire. And then a tornado to just take me up. You know, that, that would be the way to go. But Elijah's life is one with crazy miracles. Where people at every turn had been thunderstruck because of the presence of God in his life. He's a man who survived because God provided ravens <laughs> to feed him. He, he turned a jar of oil that would have run empty into an ever-flowing vessel and business to take a disenfranchised widow and give her livelihood. He... he called up to heaven and fire flew down from heaven and sparked a water-soaked wooden altar. These are the stories associated with this prophet. Crazy miracles where people stood thunderstruck at the presence of God. And you know what I know? Sometimes we think that those type of amazing miracles and that type of amazing life, that can happen for someone else, but it can't happen for me. Has anybody read any of Bob Goff's books? He wrote a book called Love Does, and he wrote another book called Everybody Always. And he writes these stories of his life, and he's quite an eccentric character. He even puts his phone number in the book, and you can actually call him, and he will pick up the phone. Um, he's a lawyer who eventually became the consulate of Uganda just because he wanted to build schools and orphanages in Uganda. So the government said, you're good. We'll have you as our ambassador. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? And I hear the stories of his life, and I think, yeah, that's great. You have resources and money and, and a pilot's license and, and a plane, and you can do all these cool stuff. But you know what? that type of life isn't just for someone else. The type of life that leaves people thunderstruck because the presence of God is on us isn't just for someone else. It's not just for Bob Goff. It's not just for Elijah. It's for you and for me. And perhaps that's what this story is about. It's about how does the presence of God get passed on? See, God's power, God's presence, God's movement, if you want to see it, you have to understand how it works. The movement of God works through us. Not to us, not apart from us, not out somewhere else, but through us. So here's what this story really is. It's a succession story of one prophet to the next prophet. Now, in the Old Testament times, there were schools of prophets that had different um, interests, and so they would champion different causes— And so you could actually grow up in a special line of prophets, in a school of prophets, or you could join a school of prophets and learn from whoever was the leader of that school, and you would go around performing many miracles and doing many things in the name of that prophet and that school. So when it says they went to these different cities and there were Groups of prophets. Some versions say sons of prophets. They mean the followers of those prophetic schools coming out. And the role of a prophet was the person who would speak out, who would act on God's behalf. They were the voice of God to the people, to the government. They were a prophetic voice, calling people out for their sins, calling people back to repentance and God's presence, they were an intermediary, uh, uh, an intermediary, or a supernatural source for the voice of God. They were creative beyond belief. In fact, um, the, some of the stories say that one of the prophets walked around naked for a year <laughs> just to prove a point. So they they. They were creative people attempting to call people back into living out God's dreams. I found it interesting. Elijah means Yahweh is God, and Elisha means Yahweh saves, or God saves. So the Lord is God and the Lord saves. They're kind of like in the same breath. You can know that the Lord is God. You can know about God. That's what Elijah was about, but Elisha takes it a step further. You can know that God is God. You can know things about God, but when you know that God saves, it becomes personal. And so the prophetic line was this call out for you and me to know the real God saving us, saving our world, saving our relationships, saving those around us. And so there's this transfer of authority and ministry and the power. It just it gets freely given from one person to the next. As I read this story, one of the things that stood out is that we are invited into our role to become miracles for other people. We're invited into our roles to become the answers to each other's prayers But just like I was thunderstruck by the electricity in my outlet, if we are not plugged into the source, if we're not touching the source that causes people to be thunderstruck, if we're not engaged with the presence of God, we don't have anything to give. So we give our blood and our sweat and our tears We give what we have, but God gives the thunder. God gives God's voice to us. And so you and I are invited to have a life with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that provides miracles. We are invited to become the miracles and the answered prayers for those around us and to our world. So if the first thing is that God's power, presence, works through us. And that's kind of what we need to understand how it works. The way that we get to see a movement of God is we say yes to the journey. We say yes to the journey. Um, You ever knew somebody, have you ever, better yet, have you ever ridden with someone who doesn't really know where they're going and they have multiple stops to make? Have you ever thought, We just stopped here, and now we're going back across town to where we were to make a stop there. You couldn't have stopped there first. Has anybody had that feeling? Yes, I have that feeling quite often. And did you know now you can add stops in your GPS navigation, and it will calculate the most efficient route for you? It's a beautiful thing. You should do it. You can even do it on Uber and Lyft. You don't even have to be driving, and you can still make it work for everybody involved. Okay, that being said, there's a strange piece to this story. Gilgal is right beside the Jordan River. That's the place that they leave from to go to Bethel, and they leave that which is even further away to go to Jericho, By the map, they're just basically heading due west, and then they finally end up going further back east, past the cities that they've already been in, to the river. I say all of that because there are plenty of times where I have the hashtag seriously, like I'm thinking about my Bitmoji that has this ugly face look like, Are you serious right now? coming on the screen for how ridiculously frustrated I would be if you knew that we were going to go to these three places and you backtracked the entire time. It would drive me insane. Anybody else be frustrated by something like that? There's this strange picture. Why does he start in Gilgal, go to Bethel, then to Jericho, then back to the river? What is happening in these locations? Well, I want to unpack that for a minute. So the name Gilgal... Uh, that city. It actually means the name monument. And um, that was the place where God set up the covenant for the people of God to be God's people. So the first circumcisions happened when the people were entering the promised land at Gilgal. So It actually means mount of foreskins if you really want to get crazy with it. But we got kids in the room, so we can't. So they're leaving this place where the people become the people of God. And the next city over, Bethel, Beit in Hebrew means house, El means God. So the house of God. And you may remember if you're an avid Old Testament reader, and if you're not, I'm going to tell you, that this was the place where... You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the Jewish faith. Jacob was in the wilderness and wrestled with God. And he had this vision overnight of like a staircase that went to heaven. And so that place became known as Bethel. And he put an altar there because it means the house of God because that's obviously where God lives. That's where we had interactions with God. And then Jericho, you might remember, is the first place that the Hebrew people attacked when they were entering into the promised land, when they were taking hold of the life that God had for them. It was Jericho, and they marched around the city seven times and saw the walls fall down. Why this journey? Sometimes, when we're going along the journey, we're remembering what God has done for us in those places. Sometimes we need to be reminded of miracles and moments and places where God brought a new person into our life or a new new understanding into our life. And sometimes we will miss it if we do not travel back through where God has been leading us. We will get distracted and we have this what have you done for me lately attitude. Anybody have that attitude? I have that attitude a lot. And so they're remembering where they have been all the way to take us back to the Jordan River. Anybody know what's significant about the Jordan River? The Hebrews crossed it to get into the land, right? And it was parted for them centuries and centuries before. Just like the Red Sea when they were coming out of Egypt was parted for them to cross through. And so anytime in the scripture you see waters being parted, something big is about to go down. And so the writer really wants everybody to know that something is about to go down. But here's what's really interesting. They're going from the promised land into the wilderness. Into the unknown space. Into the uncharted territories, and the unconquered areas. Now, why do I say all this? We may not always understand the stops along our journey. And in fact, a lot of them, if you're paying attention, seem like you're going in pointless circles back to places that you've already been, that you already thought you had conquered and beaten and heard what God wanted to do there and met who you needed to meet. But here's what I know. Every time we go into a new place, just like the story, they picked up groups of prophets along the way. They picked up people along the way. Every place in our journey, God adds people and relationships to our story who end up getting a front row seat to what God may do in us every single time. And so God has designed miracles for you that are actually not just for you. They're for the people that God has brought from each of those places along your journey. They're not just for you because when God does something in you, he wants to see something done in them as well. Because not everybody has the fortitude to get the front row seat. Sometimes they're like those prophets that stood at a distance. And so what God wants to do in you isn't just for you. It's for those people on the periphery of your life that are just waiting to see if God is really going to show up. This story is about the question of, will God show up? Will God empower me? Because up until this point, Elisha had been traveling with Elijah for years and years, and nothing came of it. No miracles, nothing. So God designs the miracle and the power that he's going to give you for someone else, too, because God wants to show up and show off through people, through you, and through me. And listen to what Elisha says every time. I'm going to go to this new city. Stay here. God's told me to leave. No, I ain't leaving you. Every time. We're going to go here. Stay here. Stay here. No. I'm not going to stay. I'm going with you. As surely as the Lord lives and as surely as you're alive, I am going with you. And when they cross into the wilderness, (laughs) what happens? Well, that's where the real miracle happens. The real miracle wasn't the parting of the water. The parting of the water was a precursor that something big was about to happen. The real miracle happens in the wilderness. Do you know what I know, guys? We all go through wilderness, don't we? Right? We all go through moments where there is so much sickness going on in our family that we don't know how we're going to make it through. So when we get that diagnosis, we think it's impossible. We all go through brokenness in relationships and losses of jobs and too much month at the end of finances I mean, we we all go through moments where we are in despair or depression or darkness. We all go through events that are traumatic. And if we haven't gone through those specific events, we know someone who has. We know someone who's battling a cancer or battling a trauma or facing a, a sentence from a judge or going on and on and on down the list. And it's into those wildernesses, those places of unknown and uncertainty. Those places are the places where God wants to do the formative work of providing his power and presence so that you can face the darkest. So that when you come into those places that already have some semblance of light, you're just lighting fires left and right. Elisha says, I'm not leaving you. I don't know about you, but if I was following someone who was going in circles, I would be a grumbler and a complainer. Yes, Holly? <laughs> yes? I'm not shy about vocalizing my, <laughs> my challenges, am I? I think sometimes we can look and focus and see the wrong things. We've been here before, rather than what does God want to do here now? And so we need to start asking, what does God want to do here now? Because it's in the wilderness that God makes the miracle happen. It's on the other side of the crazy, pointless, frustrating things that God wants to do happen. And here's what I know. Elisha was faithful in his pursuit. The only thing he needed to receive the power and presence of God was the desire to see it. That's it. One foot in front of the other, one action behind the next. I'm not leaving you. As surely as the Lord lives and you lives, I'm following you. And he says, what can I do for you when they cross the river? And Elisha turns to him and says, I want a double portion of whatever you got. The relentless pursuit, step after step after step, that's when we get to see Water wells being changed, and bears coming out of woods to bring justice. And get this. A couple of chapters later in chapter seven, Elisha, this is so cool he starts praying because they're at war with another country, and the war of, uh, the, the nation of Syria is at their gates. And he starts praying, and God sends what sounds like chariots through the night into their camp to make the people think they're being attacked when there's no one there and they freak out and trample each other and the army leaves and they are saved and rescued. Do you think God wants to be providing chariots that bring his presence and power that roar like thunder into impossible circumstances? The answer is yes. Which finally, this double portion business, here's what we need to know. The portion Of God, the presence of God isn't just for you to know about, it's for you to experience. I could talk to you about faith all day long, but until your faith is your own, it means nothing. If you're still standing at a distance and watching, you're watching the faith of others. If you're stuck at the point where Elijah was saying, the Lord is God, that's all well and good. That's true. But when it's when we move to the place where Elisha moves, where God saves, where it becomes experiential and presence. And so he says, I want a double portion. I'll have a double share of whatever you're having. That's a tall order. Do you know what the double share was? The double share was the first son's share. So when they divided up a house, let's say your family was quite wealthy and you're the oldest son. Just everybody pretend you're the oldest son because this is how it worked back then. You're the oldest son. When your father died, all of the wealth that your entire family had accumulated, it's kind of like a, a business buyout. When they get sold, they give all the shareholders something. The first son got double everybody else's share. Or in some cases, 90% of it. And the other 10% went to everyone else. The, The first son's share is a huge share. So he gets the first son's share, the double portion, and he gets a coat. And then, out into the wilderness where he has seen the chariots of fire go through and the whirlwind take Elijah up into heaven. Elijah's gone, and Elisha remains with a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elisha is outside of the arena, the area known as Israel. And the question is, what is he going to do with his double portion See, when you receive the miracle of God's presence and God's power and God's spirit, there's always gonna be the question of what are you gonna do with it? And he takes the coat and he slaps the water and he says, where's the God of Elijah? Not his God, where's the God of Elijah? And when he walks through the river back into Israel, from then on, he never calls on the God of Elijah. He calls on my God the Lord, my God. It becomes personal because the spirit of Elijah rests on him. The spirit of God is resounding in him. And here's what I know for you and me, just like we started today with from Romans, the spirit of the living God, the power of the entirety of the universe is within you. Um, I don't want to settle for a smaller portion. How many of you guys have watched the new Star Wars? Anybody? The last two, the new ones that came out? Um, one of the main characters, Ray. She's a scavenger, and she takes these pieces of broken-down things that she finds, and she brings them um, to like the junk collector who, like, recycles and remakes. And that's how she gets her food. And they call their food portions. And they're like these prepackaged dissolvable capsule things. And it's really kind of a fun world. But I just remember this. She puts her junk up there on the table. And the guy behind the counter says, that's one quarter portion. And she freaks out like, quarter portion? Two weeks ago, that was a full portion. It's one quarter portion. There's not, there's not an economy that changes from week to week with the spirit and presence of God. It's always available. It's always there, and yet sometimes I think we settle to be the crowd watching, or we settle for, for just enough for us to feel okay, but not enough for us to become the miracle and the answer to everyone's problems. Um, I'm out of time, so I'm going to skip something. I want to just finish with this. The story of this transfer of power from Elijah to Elisha is really, really important. Because as the line of prophets go down, the spirit of Elijah is what is called for the person who is the prophet of that school. And going down through the generations, one came up through the ranks who was in with the spirit of Elijah. And in Mark chapter 9, there is this incredible story where Jesus takes his closest disciples, Peter and John and James, or maybe it's just Peter and John. I'm remembering now, so don't hold me to it. It's two or three of them. And they're walking up on this mountain. And then Jesus' robe turns dazzling white. Everybody say, dazzling white. Like it's sparkling. And they're standing on this hallowed and holy ground. And a voice from heaven begins to thunder. And the disciples, as they're looking at Jesus, they begin to become thunderstruck, and they don't know what to say. In fact, it says Peter doesn't know what to say. The reason why he doesn't know what to say is because when you're that close to the presence of the Almighty, you're not sure what to say. You're in awe. He turns dazzling white, and beside him appear two figures, the figure of Elijah and Moses. And the voice from heaven cracks with a giant roar. This is my son. Listen to him. So people called him Spirit of Elijah because he comes from that tribe and school of prophets. Of Elijah that speaks for the voice of God that says the Lord is God the Lord will save into all darkness into all spaces into all brokenness healing and light and restoration of all things and when the thunder roars at such a volume that you are awestruck and cannot speak you know you are in the presence of God and that very same presence Jesus turns around and gives to his disciples, who give it to the next group of Christ followers, who give it to the next group of Christ followers, who have been giving it down to generations and generations and generations to you and to me. So really, the question of this story, of what's going to happen when Elijah's gone? Why don't you guys come up? We're, 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 we're going to sing. What's going to happen When Elijah's gone, what's going to happen when you walk out the doors and you're not with your pastor? What's going to happen when you're not surrounded by your church folk? What's going to happen when you're facing darkness standing in front of you, when you're facing the diagnosis? First of all, you're not going to be standing there alone. You're standing there with your church family and church body, but you're standing there with the power and presence of God. And you have been given a cloak to slap the water and walk through the wilderness and receive The miracle of God's presence so that when you walk through this life, through every town and every place and every relationship and every moment, you have a story to tell that will leave people awestruck. You have miracles to bring and you have prayers to answer. When the disciples turn to Jesus, who's dazzling white, and they see Elijah and Moses, they say, Jesus, first of all, it's really cool that you brought us here. They didn't use that exact phrase, but I'm pretty sure that's what they meant. Secondly, are they sticking around? Like, should we make some tents so you guys have places to stay? Jesus, he turns back to them after talking with Elijah and Moses and he says, guys, Elijah's already come and gone. He didn't complete the mission of calling people back. He didn't complete the mission of turning people's hearts on fire with the presence of God. He didn't complete the mission to let them know that Yahweh is God and Yahweh saves. He didn't complete the mission." that God will restore and redeem all things. But you guys, you're going to complete the mission. And what you need is the thunder. And what you bring is your blood, your sweat, and tears. Jesus says this full portion life, it's for you. Don't, don't sit Don't settle to stick on the couch or settle for the nosebleeds or even the box seats or floor seats, not even in the front row. Get in the arena and take the mantle because the title of prophet with the spirit of Elijah isn't just for that school of prophets there. It's for you and it's for me. And if you feel like you've been trying to be a Christian, You know how people, there are people out there that are haters? (laughs) It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errors, who comes up short again and again, but who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm and great devotions and spends himself in a worthy cause, who knows best at the end is triumph of higher achievement and God's presence, and at the worst, if he fails, at least he was daring greatly so that this place will never be the same. It will never live with those cold and timid souls who never even know victory or defeat. Teddy Roosevelt said that. Don't settle for a quarter portion. Take the title that is yours. Take the power that is yours. And I don't want you to sit here saying, that's all well and good, Pastor Todd, but I haven't been electrocuted lately, so I'm not crazy. I don't know who this Bob Goff guy is that has eccentric life stories, but that's not my story. I can't be the person who's a a, a miracle worker or a prayer answerer. I can't be that one who's living with the fire and thunder and voice of God. I can't speak for God. I'm not that clever. I'm not that gifted. You know what? The truth is, neither am I. I don't have to be. I bring all the blood, all of me. I bring everything that I am, and he brings everything that he is. And when they collide, the world changes. Miracles happen so don't settle if you have a knowledge about God's spirit but not an experience of it I just want to challenge you this morning to say just as a prayer almost strive for that and it's in the faithful striving that you will find I don't know when I don't know where your wilderness is but it's in the faithful striving that you will find